0: Hard Podcast by guitarists or guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown
1: and AL Levy.
2: Hello everyone, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast, and thank you so much for listening. We've now recorded over 25 episodes with some of the best guitarists in the world, and we don't plan on slowing down. We're so stoked that you're enjoying the topics we are covering. Please share us with your friends and give us a tag. You can find me on Instagram at Brown Monuments. That's B R O W N E M O N U M E N T S and A R Levy. And that's at A R Levy U R M Audio. That's E Y A L L E V I U R M A U D I O. If you want to give us a review, then we especially love iTunes reviews. We will never charge you for this podcast. All we ask is that you give us a share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on with it.
1: Trey Xavier is a guitar player, content creator, and the editor-in-chief of Gear Gods. Gear Gods is a one-stop shop for any musician interested in punk, hardcore, rock, metal, and infinite genres. Specializing in multiple media formats, Gear Gods produces a wide array of content such as Rigged, a Rig Rundown-style series, Ask a Producer, which entails tips and tricks from top-level engineers, Quality Control, which is high-quality gear reviews that are particular to the genre niche, and a ton of other great content. In addition, let me just say that Trey is actually a great guitar player. Anyways, I introduce you Trey Xavier. Trey Xavier, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
3: What up, boy? Hello, Trey. <laughs> How are we all doing? Good. How are you? Oh, not too shabby. I mean, it's, uh feels weird to complain about the colds because I live in L.A., but I'm a little chilly right now. But aside from that, having a wonderful time. I will swap places with you immediately. <laughs> I knew that you would. I mean, you can stay in England. <laughs> I don't want to.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Trey, uh, being that, like, you run a site called Gear Gods that... Uh, started as all about gear but you're actually a really good musician how much does it annoy you when uh musicians think that gear is going to make them better
3: oh man it's the ultimate annoying but i also was there i was thinking about this recently when were
1: you there you've been a good musician forever
3: no (laughs) i have not well i mean
1: well maybe not forever but, like, since before Gear Gods.
3: I mean, I was all right. Uh, I I still don't think I'm that great, but I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I have put a lot of care into it, and especially in the last, just the last couple years, um, really caring about refining the musician part of me, even though I, you know, I went to school for music. Um, But I think that the illusion of gear making you better is just like anything else. Like, it's the Dunning Kruger effect, kind of, sort of, you know? Like, you can't, there are things that you think that you can do that look easy or look like they can be done when you watch somebody else do it. And, you know, this lack of self awareness, sort of. <laughs> <bit> <laughs> like, you can, uh, and you just think, like, oh, I can, like, what is the thing that makes this person do this thing well or be able to do this thing? And the only thing that you can really see
1: clearly it's those presets
3: yeah it's the preset <laughs> the preamps are like the you know yeah. that guitar or whatever and you know i hate that but it's just a noob mistake it's just a, a it's just a beginner problem that you know you just learn pretty quick that that is not the way because you what happens is you spend a lot of money one or two times and don't get the result that you want and then it's fine
2: there is one piece of gear though what's that it's a noise gate. <laughs>
3: oh, yeah. I guess that will you make don't You don't even better. use
1: one,
2: though, Brown. I do. I use one. Just one.
3: Oh. I don't Just- load up one. three on my Axe effects Oh, no. You're blowing it then. Does that include the one that's, like, built in in the, in the front end or? <laughs> <laughs> no. So four total? <laughs> yeah, four.
1: <laughs> you know, though, like, how do you define a noob? Because uh, I know people who have been at it for a long time who still think that way. So is it like noob in terms of been in it for not too long or noob as in possibly been in it for a while, but skills are shitty?
3: I think noob is a mindset and some people get over it and some people don't. I don't know. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but they're not always going to learn about drinking water or not. I I blew the metaphor, but the point is... You You did, yeah, because you could have
2: said that (laughs) it's whether or not they're thirsty... That's the metaphor there, isn't oh, it? Because okay. that's that. I think that kind of defines the noob, whether they're thirsty for it or not.
3: I think a lot of noobs have a lot of enthusiasm that I wish that I had. That's very true. I mean, they, they should. How how are they
1: going to get better without it?
3: I think a lot of them will not either way, because you know you can't fix stupid. But you can be you could tell somebody a hundred times that they're buying a new piece of gear isn't going to make them any better. But there's also this the flip side of it, which is you can't do certain things without certain pieces of gear some people will get those pieces of gear and still not be able to do those things but you know you can't plug your guitar into nothing you can't play a riff without a guitar you can't play it on no guitar and that's a piece of gear i've been on a bit of a plugins and sample libraries binge lately i love synths and sample libraries so much and I'm a I got a little bit of that, I think, a little bit of that just like, oh, if I get this, I can be a film composer. Hooray. And like it's <laughs> it's not, you know, somebody with much worse sample libraries that I have can create a much better mood for a a scene or whatever. But at the same time, it's that or I hire an orchestra, right? So uh, there's a little bit of a flip side to it, I think. I think I think there is some truth to that. It's not going to make you better. You can't activate it with no talent, but you also can't do the thing without it to a certain degree.
1: Well, it's just a tool. <laughs> it's not 1823. Right. It's not. Or wh- whatever year. 1600s, mate. No, that's not, no. Not 1600.
3: It's not either of those times. He
1: was born in (laughs) 1770. Was it really that late? Holy shit. All right, yeah, because
2: 1600s was Baroque, wasn't it? Correct. Baroque, yeah, yeah. My bad. You're bad indeed, sir.
1: You should have known that, Al. I'm disappointed. Well, no, he was alive in 1823. Oh,
2: yeah, he was. Good point. He was definitely deaf by that point as well.
1: Yeah, but (laughs) he was alive in 1823. (laughs) He died in 1827.
2: Oh, well, there you go on the money.
1: I, I was right. The tools themselves aren't going to make you better, and definitely, if you know what you're doing, it's way better to use better tools always. Yeah. Um, I think that's true for anything, and I definitely think that all of us have that uh, that little voice that wants to skip steps and that wishes or hopes that getting this new tool is going to uh, advance our skills. But you know, obviously, it never does. That said. I still, you know, will prefer certain things over others like uh, Block Letter 5150 over almost any other amp because I just think it sounds awesome. I think that that's fine, but that's a very big distinction between if I get this, it's going to make me better at guitar, or if I get this, I'm going to sound like this person that I worship. That doesn't work.
3: Yeah. The only thing that will get you to being better is is the work. There's no... I mean... There are ways that you can optimize how you spend that work, like how you spend that time that you have to work on thing X. Um, and that's something that I'm I, I don't really feel like I'm that great at or have been in the past. I've basically bludgeoned my way into being uh, good at the guitar or whatever. I you know, went to Berkeley. I went to Berkeley Pro <laughs> uh, for a year. And I I would spend like eight hours a day in the practice room some days. Like I lived at home. I didn't live, you know, on campus or anything. And I had nowhere to go in between classes. Um, And there would be like a long time in between classes. I would just go into the practice room. And I think back on that time spent... And I was like, what, what was I doing in there for all of that time? <laughs> like, how come I'm well, not a doing? lot better? Calling it practice is being very generous. I didn't have the focus to do anything uh, the way that would really ramp up my skills and, and make me better quickly. So I don't know. I, I think now I, I because I have a lot less time to practice, if I'm going to practice, I'm like, okay, here's the thing that I need to do. And I get it done. But like, Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a, that's a big part of it, but the work has to be there. Do
2: you think that part of that is just learning that you've, um, optimized on how you want to work? Cause I think that when you first start playing the guitar, you kind of just want to learn everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas time is more sacred as you get older, you know, you're not at home anymore. There's bills to pay. So when you actually find the time to practice, it's more the fact that you're trying to hone in on one particular skill set rather than trying to amalgamate everything that you want to do at that moment. Yeah, I
3: think that definitely helps. I think for me, it's just terrible ADHD, (laughs) (laughs) which is something I've actually uh, decided to start dealing with pretty recently. So that has helped a bit. But yeah, there's that too. That's a big part of it. Um, You know, oh man, I think about like dads, right? Like, dudes who have been like, you know, kind of like whatever through their whole life, not really focusing on a thing. And then they become parents and it's, it's twofold. They like have, they, um, they suddenly have more and less time. They have more time because they like, you know, they got to watch the baby and when it's sleeping, there's nothing to do. And then they get all this time and they're like, oh, I really want to do this thing. Okay, and they get really into this thing and they're they're very secret about their time. And if it's a hobby or something that's skill based, they get really good at it, you know, at like 40 or whatever. (laughs) I always thought that was that was kind of funny. And here I have like, well, for a long time up until kind of recently, I had, you know, kind of a lot of free time and I squandered so much of it. Just like I'm going to play video games and sit on my ass and watch TV or whatever, you know, Um, when I should have been grinding away. And now I have less time. So I use it more effectively, or something. I don't know.
1: All right. So, what goes into using it more effectively?
3: Having deadlines where I have to do things, but yeah. But I mean, but what just is, like with your guitar playing, yeah. Like what are mm. what are you doing differently? And how many
1: hours do you even spend on it?
3: It varies so wildly. Usually, what I'm doing now is practicing, playing more expressively. That's the thing that I care about the most, I realized, um, more so than anything else. Because it requires the most control, I find it to be the hardest. And the other thing is is writing, is writing parts, right? And then trying to get to the place where I can play it really well and very expressively. If I have something that I need to get done so that I can record it, play it on camera, whatever. I mean, I'll spend the whole day basically, like I'll spend like four or five hours in a go while I watch TV. I probably don't practice guitar unless the TV is on, which some people find abhorrent, some guitar teachers, but for me, if I'm like running something over and over and over again and I, and that's all that I'm doing, I'm bored out of my mind and I don't want to do it anymore so uh, I'll I'll shotgun like a whole season of uh, whatever, you know Um, and by the time I'm done, I've usually got what I need to do
1: how do you practice playing expressively while you're watching something else?
3: I don't. I don't really know. I. I. I, I never really think about it. I just. Uh, it's kind of impressive. I mean, I'm like, if I'm watching like Star Wars or whatever, it doesn't seem to like impede with on the uh, on I oh, Just Star Wars is so boring. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> well, it's just like I don't know. There's was, no I part just, of it is. I just uh, want to piss some people
0: off.
2: <laughs> Oh god. I understand that philosophy though of actually playing the guitar passively, I would say that it is, where you're not really one hundred percent focused on the job at hand, because once you've got the motor skills down, it's all about the muscle memory for yeah. the most part. It's so, like
3: programming a computer, but you have to do you have or it's like teaching a computer. <laughs> like you just gotta do it over and over again, you gotta repeat it, and you build that muscle memory just through repetition. And by the time I've done it a couple times, I'll just put the metronome on and and stop thinking about it and f- focus my attention on something else because this is going to go by itself. Uh, yeah, the hands part.
2: I think there's a lot more to the subconscious mind with learning than we really understand as well because mm-hmm. I found that if I, you know, I mean, hey, Al, I'm sure you've had this as well when you when you're sat there tracking a riff for hours and then all of a sudden you're so angry that you can't actually play it right once and then the next day once you've uh, given it some time you can play it perfectly on first take. I think that sort of goes to show that the less you really concentrate on it um, consciously that you just play it. Do you know what I mean? So I think that actually learning with a TV on is actually not such a bad idea, to be oh, honest.
1: You, you have to focus consciously at first in order to take, the, take it in. But it, then once you've completed that part, then you need to reinforce it so it becomes part of your uh, subconscious knowledge. Um, it's kind of... This has been laid out in how somebody learns how to drive. So, you know, four stages, for instance. Like The first one is they don't know anything about driving. So they've never driven. They don't know a goddamn thing. Then the next stage is they're first learning how to drive. Nothing is subconscious. So they're thinking about every single little thing. Um, then the next stage is, uh, they're thinking about some things, but it's becoming more and more natural, uh, though, because it's not totally built in yet. It's not all muscle memory, they'll still make certain mistakes and have, like, uh, brain farts, things like that. And then the final stage is they don't have to think about it. They can just do it.
2: You guys have to learn to drive. I didn't think so. Your roads are so wide and you all drive automatics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: in some places.
2: Yeah. You ever driven a stick?
3: Um, I I tried... My uncle tried to t- tried to teach me, and uh, it did not go well. Well, I didn't have enough time really to to do it for real, but uh, I didn't like it at all.
2: Understandable. It's that um, that second stage of taking everything in. It's quite a
1: mind. I cars have advanced beyond that. Yeah,
2: of course, but it's <laughs> that. But you'll never have that same amount of fun.
3: <laughs> it's not supposed to be fun. I'm ready for self-driving cars, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. It's just supposed to get you to where you're going. I live in Glendale, California, and people here drive so unbelievably fucking badly that Mm -hmm. I'm like, fuck all you. The robot will drive for you. Like, if, if you read someday that Trey Xavier has died, the first thing that you should think is that I got run down by a white BMW. Okay, that's probably (laughs) going to be the cause of death.
2: I feel the same way where I live too. They drive, it's obnoxious how bad these people can drive. And (laughs) it goes on to playing guitar, isn't it? Like everyone can kind of play a little bit of guitar, but it's the, you know, it's the ones that go to the next level. I guess it's the same with driving. Everyone just does it. You know, it gets you from A to B, whereas some people are just good at it
3: i think the difference is if you play guitar badly nobody really gets hurt (laughs) my 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 ears and soul do thank you (laughs) that's true (laughs) but those are carried in your body which will go flying (laughs) through the air and become dust if somebody drives badly and i always hated that like it's a skill and the the variation of skill is the same as in guitar But it's the stakes are so much higher, you know, and everybody has to do it. Nobody has to play guitar. I mean, I'll I'll wither and die if I can't, but it'll be really slow and it'll only kill me. Um, But yeah, like anyway, like so I'm. I'm ready for that to be taken away from people. I don't, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know what will fix your your terrible driving issue in Los Angeles when it's getting a proper fucking public transport system.
3: Listen, commie, (laughs) you (laughs) you take that red talk back to Red Square and jam it up your. I don't know. No, but I agree. And so I'm originally from Boston and. I had no idea how good we had it with the public transportation. I came out here and I have not taken a bus or a train in the like 16 years I've lived in California. I don't think I've done it once and uh, I didn't, you know, I barely drove when I lived in Boston. So
1: I was really, really surprised once a few years ago to find out that there's a subway system in LA.
3: Yeah, there is. It's yes, terrible. I've heard of it. <laughs>
1: i've heard of it too i haven't used it a
3: subway system in a place where we have these kind of earthquakes like fuck that you won't catch me in that shit hell no
1: it's not really for me so would you say that now you're playing is like mission oriented like you play when there's something that you need to learn or something you need to get done as opposed to before where you're just playing for the sake of playing or do you play for the sake of playing
3: I do still sometimes play for enjoyment. Wow. If you can believe it. I do just sometimes pick up a guitar. That's rare. Just to love it. You know what I mean? Honestly, especially my cheap Strat, my player series Mexican Strat, that's the one that probably gives me the most joy, which it's such a, like, dad thing to fucking, like, have a, be like, oh, well, now I want a Strat, you know, dang old single (laughs) coils. But um yeah it, it's I think it's just because it's so comfortable to play and it just feels nice and that's the one that I've been playing a lot lately but yes, in general very mission oriented and I think that that's why it's best to really front load all of your intensive learning especially when you've got the time when you're younger you know to really put the hours in up front because once you hit where I'm at where I I'm doing all the things that are peripheral to playing guitar and making money or having a job that's a music job. Like, I don't get to really play guitar all day. You know, like you might think like, oh, I'm a guitarist for a living, sort of. Um, You'd think that uh, that's most of what I do, but it's such a small part of it. So then I go like, oh, it's a good thing that I spent all those hours in the practice room so that I only have to practice this part 10 times instead of 50 to get it right. If I'd really, really become a total sicko early on, then everything would be a lot easier now because I still have to do it the 10 times instead of just once or whatever. It feels like a mission. I think I think mission is the <laughs> is a good <laughs> word because. But I got a yeah, I got a place to get to.
1: What would you have done differently? Because you said you were playing like eight hours a day. What would you have done differently?
3: Well, I just wish that I had been smarter about it. And I don't know that Ugh. I don't know that there's necessarily any way that I you know I did what I did and I was able to do it. I was able to do as much as I was able to do. And I don't like regret it necessarily, but I think. If I'd had any kind of plan, any kind of uh, organizational skills, any kind of uh, broader view of of what it took to learn the thing, um, I probably would would have spent that time a lot better. I I spent it badly.
2: Hindsight's a bitch, isn't it? Yeah,
3: <laughs> and it chafes a bit. But I don't know. I think about dudes who are like absolute sickos okay like i don't know i mean guthrie's probably a bad example because he's an alien but he's the one that i always think of okay i'll I'll use a an example of somebody that i know do you know the bass player anthony crawford nope friend of mine like like absolute terrifying dude he played with alan holdsworth and like oh yeah sick yeah and he doesn't have to warm up to absolutely fry your face off with his playing, you know, because he, like, got all of that shit in pretty early on. So by the time he's, like, you know, 18 or whatever, he's crushing it beyond all comprehension, and he doesn't have to think about it at all. He just lays it down and, you know, like a one-take freak kind of a thing. I guess maybe because I have to work for it a bit harder, I appreciate it, more or like I don't lean on it as hard that's the other thing
1: how much do you think you're being hard on yourself and how much do you think that this is realistic stuff like where do you put talent into the equation like you're a talented dude but like obviously with a world this big there's always gonna be someone more talented where do you put that in
3: I'm not thinking of it in terms of me comparing myself to other people because I feel less talented or whatever it's Actually, for me, just about the sheer amount of time that I have to put in to get the takes. If you saw the stuff that wound up on the cutting room floor, you'd be like, oh, wow, this is uh, you spent a lot of time getting these videos done. You
1: know, deep down inside that you could be better if you had done things differently. But it's not because this dude, you know, who plays bass is a fucking freak. It's just because you you're that little voice in your head is telling you that. I'm just wondering how much of that is being hard on yourself.
3: Yeah, I think it's a little both, a little a little column A, a little column B. I'm just thinking about like, okay, when I had Anthony in here to shoot some video, it was like 20 minutes of shooting and we got four perfect takes. And I was like, oh my God, this is what it could be like. This is how long it should take to shoot a video. I'm thinking about the hours and stuff that I put in and I'm like, oh my God.
2: <laughs> Do you reckon that's also down to procrastination? Because.
3: Lol. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I, the, sorry, the reason that I brought this up, it's, I'm not just shitting on myself um, of being like Conan O'Brien over here, self deprecating. The idea is that I'm trying to get across that for people who are learning guitar now, really, really front load that shit. Make a plan. I agree. Because once you get to a point where you are successful, you don't get to play that much so much of being a musician is all the peripheral crap dealing with business stuff and logistics and when you're on tour how much do you get to play guitar none none you play guitar while you're on stage, stage. if you get to warm up drunk. you're lucky <laughs> so yeah you know so that's why you got to you have to already be there by the time you get there Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time like I'm having right now. I've been getting a lot of comments lately that they're like, wow, Trey, you really improved on the guitar. Like, oh, you've gotten a, gotten much better because I put out a couple things that were like, I don't know, really shreddy and kind of impressive. And I was like, oh, I, I kind of went back and I looked at some of my older stuff and I was like, wow, I actually have improved. And I think that's just because I, I I started to really care about it a bit more you know put the time and effort in into caring about it paying attention to it more than anything else about little things about it and even though I think I've been able to play that well for a long time I just didn't
1: It seems like your brain is more in the game
2: yeah I think the kind of all musicians to a degree have a little bit of ADD when it comes to their playing. Um, And OCD to a degree. Um, So we tend to be a lot harder on ourselves than we probably should be. But at the same time, I think that it's quite helpful in small doses because it drives us to want to play better as well. So as long as that driving force or that little voice in the back of your head saying this isn't good enough, that's still a good thing, I think. And I think that
3: maybe to a degree you have that. Maybe too much. (laughs) I think maybe I have been reluctant to admit to myself that I am a bit of a perfectionist and perfectionism drives a lot of self-hatred, I think, in people, but also pushes you to get better. Like if you looked at something that was wonky and shitty that you made and you're just like, cool. Yeah, that sounds that's pretty good. Great. And you move on to the next thing. You'll feel good about yourself and you'll make things that suck. And I don't want to be the macaroni painting hanging on my mom's fridge, you know, like I want, (laughs) like I want to create things that are great. I don't think you can do that and be super, super happy with yourself. I think you have to be a bit miserable.
1: No, you definitely don't get both. Surprise, you pay.
2: I think that some people just, if they're surrounded by people that are constantly telling them they're great, then they potentially could have had what we have, which is basically us telling ourselves that we're, shit all the time I think (laughs) that then you know these people that get told you know I think the bigger you get and you get all these people saying stuff like oh you're amazing I think that as long as you still feel the same way inside that you think I can do better a good example of this is actually Kiko Um, from Megadeth who we spoke to and he's constantly still practicing and he's absolutely sick. Uh, Jeff Loomis is another good example that, you know, took lessons recently uh, from another guitar player. And I think that as long as that spark is always there, then there's always going to be improvements in playing.
3: Jeff. So I talked to him pretty recently and he asked me for my lesson series, like my lesson videos. And I was like, I'm sorry, fucking what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) first of all, the idea that I could possibly have anything to teach Jeff Loomis uh, is insane. But, like, it was that same thing. I was like, oh, he's just trying to always get better. He's pushing the envelope all the time. He's pushing the edge. I honestly don't know if he'll uh, he'll (laughs) actually take it, but, oh, my God. Wow. That would be crazy. And, like, the fact that anybody cares about what Trey Xavier thinks on the guitar still blows my mind. You know what I think it is, honestly, aside from uh, just the general self-loathing thing that we're talking about that most musicians, relentlessly self-improving, depressed musicians have, I guess I don't really identify myself primarily as a guitar player anymore because the thing that I really care about the most is songwriting and guitar is my instrument and I love it forever and I will literally take one into my coffin with me, but like maybe I have a little bit of identity crisis. So when I'm talking about guitar, sometimes I get a little like, Oh no, that's it's imposter syndrome. That's what it is. It's imposter syndrome more than anything.
1: Well, I mean, think about the level of people that you interact with. You interact with some motherfuckers.
3: Yeah, that doesn't help. (laughs) I know so many sickos. I know so many crazy sickos. And then I'm kind of like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I play a little bit. That's fine." <laughs> Anytime I get some good feedback from them, especially or from my audience, I'm kind of like, "Oh, you know, whatever. that's fine,', I'm fine. you know, I dabble."
2: <laughs> it, it's quite interesting how we gauge ourselves based on the skill level of another uh, musician, but we never really gauge ourselves against the, the songwriting prowess of another. And oh, I do. I, I, I mean, yeah. I do. I do. Obviously, want to kill myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me too. But like, just as an example, like if we take you know Oasis Wonderwall, which is probably known by a lot of people on this planet, they weren't particularly great musicians in terms of like their skill set. Yeah, but they could write a they could write a song. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's quite interesting that we're so focused on just getting the skill set better that we never actually sit back and think about. You know, can I write some notes that move people?
3: I think, also, guitarists are kind of the worst songwriters in general. I find worst people too. They're the yeah, <laughs> worst, worst audience to have. Worst, uh, oh, it's just the worst. Fuck guitar player. That's why I don't <laughs> want to identify as a guitar player. But like, you can you can make something that's like so deeply moving and meaningful in a song, and they'll be like. Where's this? Fu- Can you just throw some sweeps in there or something, bro? That's fucking boring. Where's the choke? <laughs> this just happened today
2: to me. Actually, it's quite funny. <laughs> so did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. So um, for the first time ever, I'm just saying this because I'm quite. It's quite nice because it's not happened before. But um, Metal Hammer acknowledged myself and Ollie as guitar players to watch out for in 2021.
3: Mm, I saw that. And I
2: saw a comment on the Metal Hammer thread that said. These guys aren't very good. Like, where's the Pliny? Where's the, you know, Jason Richardson? And in this list, and I was like, well, everyone talks They're about them too. already, Do you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and I was just thinking to myself, you ever heard of like, this guy ah. Joe
3: Satriani, bro? Where's he on the list?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was just like, yeah, I think that people like when they think of who's a good guitar player, in, and it is pretty much only in guitar players that they. Want to see the skill set, not the songwriting. Yeah. It's quite interesting,
3: isn't it? I don't know why that is. I recall having a sort of a similar attitude when I was younger. And I think, honestly, it's just part of the hunger of wanting to get better. You want to hear what's going on all the time. You become the gunslinger a little bit. You know what I mean? You're like, yep. oh, who's this guy? What's, what do they got? Oh, I can do that. Oh, that's, yeah, f- fuck this guy, whatever. I'm going to uh, learn how to do it. And I think that sometimes translates into a shitty attitude about what's important. And the guitar becomes your whole whole world. And some people just never move past that. And whatever, people make comments on the internet like negative shit like that. You usually have nothing to back it up with or like... They just suck. You know, they're just the loud, loud assholes. So whatever. The empty vessel. The <laughs> empty vessel, yeah. But like, I guess I can sympathize a little bit because I have been there.
1: You ever see a comment that gets you in a weaker moment and like <laughs> you want to engage with it or something? Just It just gets you, I guess, at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find yourself wanting to engage and you go and you look at who left the comment. And it's like, <laughs> what is wrong with me? Why... Why am I gonna fight with this person? This person (laughs) sucks. Like Yeah. Like I I should not be engaging with this.
3: Yeah, that usually helps. You're just like, what are you doing? (laughs) What do you have to offer beyond just trolling? So I'm in a weird place on my channel where I don't get enough comments that I have hit the point where I'm like, oh, I can't read these. Like, I don't know, who's got the time? I still can read every comment. That sounds like guitar practice time to me. Sounds like guitar practice. Well, it's not even that's the thing, it's not <laughs> even that much time. Um, <laughs> that's the worst part. Cause I want to get to a point where it's not I get, that many comments it's just not that many. You know, I'm like, <laughs> and I read really fast. I like really like interacting with with my fans and my or my, you know, my audience. But then YouTube is a is a wasteland, an open wasteland where anyone can come and just shit on you for no reason. And uh, a couple of times recently, I've been like, wait a second, who the fuck are you? Let's look you up. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you're trash. That's fine. I'm glad you don't <laughs> like what I did because that means that I'm probably hitting the right people. And if you don't like it, then that's a that's a good sign. That's a that's thumbs a up thing. in my book. <laughs> if trash doesn't like me, then uh, then I'm doing the right thing.
2: I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you over the sound of all my amps. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got this cranked up a bit. My wall. <laughs> yeah, it's so loud I can't read.
1: <laughs> I, I just gave myself a "don't respond before 10 a.m." rule.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Have you been on the prowl then?
1: <laughs> I just realized that if it's before 10 a.m., I I'm, I might respond to this stuff
3: <laughs> for some reason. That's easy I'm for just... me. I'm never awake before 10 a.m. Usually. I got up early for this one, and it's eleven. Or like, start we started at eleven. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll go to the seven a.m.
1: musician time.
3: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah, between the hours of eight and ten, I probably should not even look. Or late at night.
3: The mistake that I make sometimes is I roll over first thing in the morning and pick up my phone and start scrolling through stuff, and then like fall back asleep or whatever, or like, I and then and then it loops, you know, unconsciously in my brain like this guy fucking sucks like whatever
1: trey should kill himself his sweeps are elementary at best
3: sloppy fucking sweeps bro i
2: i remember i got a comment not too long ago and uh it was about how master of puppets is easy to play and it made me so mad (laughs) Because I know how much time I've spent trying to learn that goddamn song. And I wrote back and I basically said, if you can send me a a cover. Oh, I remember that. If you can send me a cover of this in the next two hours, I'll send you a guitar.
3: (laughs) That's hilarious. He probably plays it alternate picking. (laughs) That's the thing you see, like, uh, yeah. But yeah, he didn't send it, obviously.
2: (laughs) So I think that's how I'm going to respond every single time. Of course he didn't send it. Of course he didn't. All talk, no
1: walk. You would have sent him the guitar, though, right?
2: Yeah, of course. If he would have downpicked all of it and it was absolutely phenomenal, yeah, I would have sent. I would have
3: also sent some Anthrax in the post. <laughs> Take out your competition. <laughs> it's like when Cartman's like present them. Oh yeah, it's, Car- it's Cartman syndrome, isn't it? Oh, it's the robot. Car- Cartman's talking to the, the robot Osimo and he says, Sick, man bows," and the robot says, "Present them." And he's like, what? <laughs> Present them. And he wouldn't. He doesn't put up, you know, put up or shut up.
2: It's also like the fish sticks episode as well of South Park. He says that he made up the joke and he didn't. And it just, the, the story keeps changing. It's kind of similar to that, isn't it? Like people thinking that they're like, they're better than they actually are and think that something's worse.
1: Do you know anyone who's legitimately really, really good who would leave a comment like that? or engage in that sort of thing, like shit. I mean, maybe there's a few people with mental illness who have been in our community who happen to also have gotten good, who are just shit disturbers, but they're a very, very, very small minority. Most, just about everyone I know who's good, who I've ever known that's good, doesn't doesn't do stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And they look at other people who are trying to get better as uh, people who are trying to get better in general.
3: I think the thing that I have noticed is that people who are at a very, very high level are usually pretty min maxed. You know, they're the skyscraper in the desert in terms of how amazing they are at this one thing. And then a lot of their other skills are uh, <laughs> maybe, we'll say, rudimentary at best. And sometimes that leads to like a big lack of self awareness on the internet sometimes. And they'll say things. That are that come off as uh like big boomer energy or whatever, or they like they will engage in that kind of shit. I've seen it a little bit, but they just put all their points into one thing and it wasn't necessarily charisma. Some you know, some of them do, but (laughs) I have seen examples of this, which I won't call it here and there, but but no, you're right, in general, no, no, like because why would you bother? It's like you said, it's time, it's practice time. Why would you, why would you spend the time? <laughs> I guess that also is a little bit of why I, you know, get that imposter syndrome because I I have to like sort of manage the community and that's a big, That's all. that's almost, it's not more important than playing guitar, but it's a thing that I have to do and worry about. Almost as much, you know, I think I probably made this same joke the last time we did a podcast ale, but like, it's like when I sat down to have my first guitar lesson at 12, I I wasn't like, awesome. I want to learn guitar and I need you to show me how to set up my hotkeys in Premiere so that I can be fast (laughs) at editing. (laughs) You know, it was like, I just wanted to play guitar, but these days I also have to care a lot about all this other stuff. So I don't know.
2: I think that that's a product of the 21st century as well. If you look at guitar players now with the internet, there's a lot of skills that need to be done alongside the instrument, which goes in again to why learning the guitar when you don't have any bills to pay is really important because you're going to have all this other bullshit that you need to <laughs> learn to become basically to become a relevant guitar player, like such as Adobe Premiere and learning to video edit and Cubase or Pro Tools and learning how to record yourself and everything else that goes with being a guitar player, really.
3: Yeah, that's a big part of the the package in 2020. You know, you got to be able to do all of that stuff because it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest, like if a dude shreds his ass off and nobody hears it because he didn't, plug it into the internet and record it then does it fucking matter like well it matters for him but if you want to get some kind of notoriety if you're not absolutely a hundred percent for real only doing it for yourself then yeah you gotta you gotta figure out how to turn on a camera you gotta Care about this shit. Oh, the, this isn't a video. So people can't see the enormous lens that I'm holding in my hand right now. Like, I what spent lens like $800 on this. It's a, At
1: first I thought it was a tumbler.
3: Oh, <laughs> you have to care about coffee, bro. Is that a Zoe film? It's a Sigma 14 to 24. I don't even really oh, nice. use it that much, but I spent like $800 on it or whatever, 700. And, uh, and that was used. You know, like, I care about camera gear almost as much as guitar gear and that's because i want i want my videos to look awesome so that when people watch it even if i've put so much into the music if the video fucking sucks you know they might turn it off because the standard for quality of content all the way around is so high right now because everyone has access to it everybody can watch youtube tutorials on how to get the right the lighting right And there's almost no excuse for having shitty content of any kind.
1: What do you think is the modern base level skill
3: set for
1: a musician?
3: I think you have to be able to record yourself. I think you have to be able to edit and mix a little bit at least and to uh, shoot and edit video that, that looks pretty good. And that's on top of Whatever you're trying to do musically, so I think you have to be, you have to wear your engineer hat and your and your video editor slash content creator hat. I look at dudes like McRocklin, that guy, um, crushing it on Instagram. Okay, he has not just in, insane guitar skills, but he has a very distinct, unique video editing style that's that grabs your attention, like with these really really. F- silly cheeky zooms and like the way that it like will like follow his hands sliding up and down the neck. And I instantly gravitated towards it even before I turned the sound on. You know what I mean? And if you want somebody to give a shit about what you're doing, you have to have something like that.
2: I think that's really good advice right there. If you think about Instagram, when you're scrolling through the feed, most people don't have their sound turned up because they're probably in a public place or they're at work or something and they're just having a little stroll. Yeah, or on the toilet, you know, doing a number two. You only have a couple of seconds to really engage the audience that's going to be looking at your video. And that's the way it looks. And if the way that it looks interests them. Yeah. Which means you need to have a killer setup behind you of what it is that you choose to do and really sick video editing skills.
3: Yeah, I don't think it necessarily has to be uh, such a wildly high budget production okay like i right at this moment have like over a thousand dollars worth of lights pointed at me and um you know a backdrop that i spent a week building and all this shit and i don't think i even have nearly as many followers as charlie robbins who makes amazing looking videos putting just a like a little colored light behind him pointed at the wall and, of course, he, sh- he totally shreds and does very unique, cool musical stuff. But his, his Instagram videos look like a million bucks. And I know for a fact that it's a very inexpensive, simple setup. But it pops so good and is very unique. When I scroll through and I see it, I instantly know who it is. I know that it's going to be great. And it's, it's just very pleasing on the eyes. You say
2: that his, he doesn't have an expensive setup, but the setup that he has, he's made work in his room based on the video. Yeah. Which is visually what you're looking for when you're trying to do something on Instagram. Yeah. Making the most of what he's got.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's a thread throughout history. You know what I mean? Like you can spend all the money in the world and still not get the result that you're going for Um because you're you're trying to just throw the kitchen sink at it instead of being strategic and and creative to make something that people will care about, something that looks and sounds good, whatever. Okay, I am like ten cents worth of engineer, right? Al, actually, both you guys are are infinitely better uh, engineers than I am. You've both mixed stuff. You guys could do a much better album. 100% in GarageBand with stock plugins than I could <laughs> <laughs> in Pro Tools with expensive shit, right? It's just skills, creativity, and a little bit of trial and error. A lot of trial and error, probably.
1: $1,000 in lights, though, still isn't that nuts if you get down to it. So
3: No, oh no. That's nothing. And that's on on uh, fucking Amazon with the cheap Chinese-made shit.
1: This goods. Yeah, like... <laughs> Even, like, that setup isn't that crazy. It's still just low-budget put together to look
3: cool. It's high-budget for YouTube, but low-budget for real life, like, real production, you know? Yeah, and that's... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's still nothing. And, you know, you could use a $10, whatever, lamp from Ikea and put a little colored... What do they call it? A gel on it and just crush.
1: At what point... Do you think that uh, people should start investing in nicer stuff, be it guitar gear, be it camera gear, be it lights, be it recording gear, as opposed to just optimizing their creativity and skills?
3: Ooh, that is a great question. Like, how do you know when it's time and you're not just doing the thing that we started off talking about, which is trying to buy your way to the next level? I think you'll hit a, a real hard limitation and there's something that you want to do that you absolutely cannot achieve without really upgrading all the way around. I was watching a lot of lighting tutorials and stuff and realizing that my lights are were very, uh, it was like a very hard light, you know, sort of, it wasn't this nice soft diffused light. And I realized that the look that I was going for, I could not achieve with what I had. So I got some diffusers and it made a huge difference. That's something that I had to upgrade. Um, When it comes to music, I'm tempted to say almost never, only because (laughs) when I think about the truly great creatives, people who have created distinct things, it's because they have worked so, so much with with hard limitations of certain things. And they just became synonymous with piece of gear X because they learned every single thing about it because that's what they had. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the, like the Brian may, like if he wasn't playing that guitar through an AC 30 and never did almost anything else, would he have made as distinct of a mark on music? Probably not. Maybe. Or
1: he would have just done it with something else.
3: Well, you're right. He would have done it with something else. But like that's that became his identity. And he didn't ever really change it. You define what your home base is. You become synonymous with a thing. And, you know, if you if you do it early on enough in life, it's like a Pavlovian sort of a thing. You don't know anything else. This becomes one. You know, this becomes the root where you where you always are. And everything else is going to be in contrast to that or relative to that when you think about it, like, oh, this, this amp is a lot brighter or darker than my AC30 that I played through since I was 12. If I say never, <laughs> if the gear God says never upgrade your gear, am I putting myself out of a job? But, uh, you know, no, you definitely gonna, should. No, they're not going to listen. I don't listen. know when. No, no, they won't. they'll never listen.
1: There was a time period where I used to own a Squire and a Crate GX, uh, 120 or 130, whatever the hell it was. That was your best tone ever. And a GX60, (laughs) I believe. And then there came a point where I was good enough to sound good on better amps, better guitars. And I just, no matter what I did, it just didn't sound right with a Squire through a small crate. Yeah. It just wasn't going to sound right. So I think within reason... There is a time to upgrade once you've, uh, once you've passed like the beginner level and you could possibly make something sound good. There's no reason to play like a spider or a shitty crate or something. I love the spider. Of course you do. Hmm. The one person who can probably make one sound good. No, at all. No, which I setting, mean, uh... which, uh, which
2: amp in the spider do you like? The piezo acoustic on the new modern Spider. I actually have three tones on the Spider Five that I uh, gate. No, it's four, four tones. So it comes with the that comes with the shipment of the amp. So you're you are
3: inside the Spider. It comes with a what she a says. of John Brown.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it just goes down to what we were saying earlier. It's like, you know, like um, Brian May, for example, the reason that he never changed, obviously, back then was, um, in fact, just as a little story, Henning posted a picture the other day, Henning poorly, and it was to do with the amount of guitars per capita from the 50s through till now. And in the 50s, there was only 200 guitars per 1 million people. And I think that that's why, often or not, these artists probably stuck with the same gear. It's just that it was not a thing. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now it's like you can go to a supermarket and there's two hundred types of loaves to choose from, and it's kind of the same thing with guitars and amps. You know, there's there's so much choice. It's so easily accessible now that you can do it if you want to. But going back to like the the spider and getting a sound that you like, I think it's just a case of that none of us really spend the time anymore with getting that. If we don't like it in the moment, we just like, oh, I'll just get something else.
3: So I think I have an answer for your question. I think that you should upgrade your rig of any kind when you know that it's not going to make you better. Like when you have overcome that first thing that we were talking about. When you have gotten everything out of what you've already got, you, you know for sure that you're not just trying to uh, skip a bunch of stages, you know, and get to that next level by just buying your way there. If you know for sure that that's not happening, I give you permission to spend a bunch of money and upgrade your rig. Not that anybody needs my permission, but you know what I mean. I think that's to me is is pretty much the answer and or if it's time to make money and you need real professional gear.
2: I think we could probably take that a step further as well. I think it's when you've excelled in what it is that you want to achieve as a guitar player in terms of playing and you just want to explore different flavors. You know, instead of instead of a chestnut mushroom, I want a shiitake mushroom. Do you know what I mean?
1: A shiitake.
2: I don't know how to pronounce it. I've probably pronounced no, I, it wrong. I, I,
1: I love how proper that was.
2: <laughs> I want an oyster mushroom. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're all the same. Like it's all elements of the same thing, but just maybe slightly different flavors. Brown
3: is posh as fuck. You didn't know that?
2: Oh, I knew. Just because I'm from England doesn't mean I'm posh. I am definitely
3: poor England. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard much. I've heard much poorer England than that. Oh yeah, you've been to Liverpool. <laughs> No, but uh, I haven't been to Liverpool, but I've talked to Liverpudlians. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, what a great word. Anyway. Uh, we're gonna, we'll have one of those on the podcast soon. And I'm looking forward
2: to AL trying to understand everything that he says. Is it Phil Dyer? <laughs> no.
3: Oh, okay. He's the, he's the Liverpudlian that I know.
1: Do you think that there is a point where, okay, so say you don't think it's going to make you better. But you're trying to do something in a certain genre or whatever, and you just don't have the right tools for it. So it's not that you think it's going to make you better. It's just, yeah, you have an AC-30 or something. uh, You want to play death metal.
3: kind (laughs) of doesn't work. Uh, First of all, I for sure want to hear that happen.
1: I do now as well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can it be done? I think back to little Trey having his guitar lessons and asking asking my first guitar teacher, like, well, how do I get that sound that, you know, it's kind of like, like, I for sure thought that there was a technique of playing that would produce distortion from my amp. And that was, that is not the case. I didn't know that there was a button that I had to push to make <laughs> it go on an amp that I didn't have. So my next thing was like, okay, Christmas, got to get an amp that has distortion built in. And then I found out that there's like pedals or whatever. And so I, that's how I wound up with the metal zone. (laughs) But that's a great example of (laughs) that. Like, like thinking that you can just, you know, yes, I needed some kind of distortion something to get there. I didn't know about like a, like boosting a 5150 with a tube screamer yet. I just needed distortion, and that's such a, like, pixelated image of of getting, you know, getting a tone. I heard distortion on a Metallica album, and I was like, oh, they have distortion. Like, no, you putting a, a metal zone in front of your Fender Frontman 15 is not going to get you the black album tone or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, the the benefit of hindsight tells me that you are correct and also also wrong but you have to go through those experiences of trial and error you have to go through the error part to get to the the success so whatever like spend the money fuck up a bit just get to the other side of it when you where you've got the thing why not
2: you know what weirds me out is the fact that guitar players now that some guitar players their first guitar or their amp is an axe effects (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I've seen that a good bit. Or like they've never plugged into a real amp. They've only ever played through a plug-in.
2: Yeah, it's like I think at that point it kind of gets rid of that learning curve element that you were just talking about of, you know, about plugging a metal zone into a fender. Champ, kind of style, you know, Princeton or whatever it was you said, um, yeah. you know, or right a Panther practice amp or a crate. None of these guitar players will have to experience the agony. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? I don't think so.
3: I think then then the agony becomes less, but then they go further. I think, you know, I
1: mean, we could be- amp sims sound like shit too. <laughs> you can make those sound really bad.
3: Oh, I've played so many bad ones. I have, like, every single one. I have, like, every fucking amp sim on the planet. And uh, I think a lot of them do sound like shit. I've had a couple where I've had to tweak and tweak and tweak.
1: I mean, you can make the good ones sound like shit, too.
3: You make the good ones sound like shit, and you can spend hours and hours tweaking the bad ones and never get a good sound. It's. I mean, it'll never be quite as shitty as what we're talking about. The Fucking Metal Zone into a six-inch speaker. At least...
2: We had that's all we had, you know, the metal zone yeah. into the six-inch crap speaker, which means that we had to just get on with it and actually practice our instrument. Whereas now, I think that with the element of choice, that's why you get you know these people that think the gear is going to make them a better guitarist. Almost it almost
1: makes it worse, in a weird way. Well, those people existed back then too. Uh, I remember the local band that had like two full stacks per guitar player and like some rack of like outboard guitar processors and like three PRS guitars and shirts for their best friends that said crew and like laminates and like guitar center, DJ lights uh who really, really, really thought that that shit was going to make them awesome. And they always sucked. <laughs> uh, I remember those people back in the day for sure.
3: It's the pile of ladders. Have you ever seen this this metaphor picture? It's a dude trying to get over a wall. And uh, it's two pictures. One guy who's got 10 ladders, but they're all in a pile on the ground. And he's standing on top of it and he still can't get over the wall. And then the other picture is a dude who used the ladder properly, put it up against the wall and went up it. And he got over the wall with one ladder. That's a really great metaphor. It's powerful. That was a... That was a boomer meme that hit me deep. <laughs> and I think uh, I, it's so true. You know, it is. That's that, that resonated with me. As it very, sounds being like I need to sell drought. my nine amps. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> um, hey, I mean, nine amps, if you stack those up, you could get over a wall. You could climb on nine amps. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'd break my neck in the process. I, I think maybe you should get Ben Weinman on here. He's uh, climbed on a few amps in his day. He might be the expert on that.
1: It's very true. Yeah, he knows how to climb. Brown, nine amps, how often do you find yourself using all nine or do you just kind of go to the same one 90% of the time?
2: It depends really because like, for example, I've got one amp that's a clean sound like um, It's a Hughes and & Kent and a Pure Tone. If you guys haven't tried one, and I know you don't play too much guitar these days, Al, but I wholeheartedly recommend you experience that amp because it's phenomenal. It's like it's got its own unique character. And you know, all nine of those amps have something different about them that is dependent on situation. You know what I mean? So and you know, I have all those nine amps, but I didn't have all those nine amps in one go. Do you know what I mean? I got them because I was like, oh, that could work for this and this.
1: And Yeah, but how often do you use them? Um, during COVID? In general, like John Brown. Like how often do you use all nine or do you have like one or two that you just tend to go to most of the time?
2: I'd say I'd probably use four of them, maybe five of them quite regularly. Whereas the other four, maybe not as regularly, but they still get turned on. That's what she said. It's
1: extravagant.
3: <laughs> I think... <laughs> that new gear stuff that's different can be such an inspiration. And if you are going to buy something because you need that inspiration or not even that you need it, just, just to try something different. If you've hit a point where, where it's time to, to really try something new because you feel like you've plumbed the depths of what you've already got that is absolutely legitimate to spend money on or whatever, or to, you know, uh, just to, just to spark something like a new amp, a new piece of any gear will do that for me. From so my kind question
1: for you, yeah. because you're in a unique uh, position where I'm sure that every single piece of gear that gets put out, gets sent to you at some point. Um, and so I'm so. sure that you've tried. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that you've tried everything or clo- a lot of stuff.
3: I really try to. I try to try everything. Well, it's part of your job. Being that you have a,
1: a level of experience with uh, gear that, and that range is from amps to custom guitars to every plug-in that comes out, all that. What do you look out for or what do you think people should look out for when approaching new gear?
3: I think you have to... Because things are so powerful now, there's so much going on under the hood of so many things, you have to go in, to going into the testing part of it, trying a thing out, you have to decide to commit to learning everything about it so that you can really get good at it. I have made the mistake pretty often of assuming that a thing is going to be very intuitive, and that I can just sit down without cracking the manual and just go into it and get a good idea of what the thing is about and what it can do. And I think that's where I've blown it many a time. You need to really understand who the thing is aimed at, what it's for, and what the maker intended for it, and whether or not that's you, or... If you think you can, uh, honestly, like I think that's kind of what people like me are good for. Is like you you hear about a thing, it does it's supposed to do this. I'm gonna go watch somebody play with it and see if it's actually gonna do that thing. And that's why I have to really do a deep dive on stuff. You have to decide to become kind of a power user before you drop the money on it. And I'm thinking like about a lot of plugins, a lot of synths. I really like synths, especially synth plugins, because I like getting lots of different kinds of sounds, a wide variety of stuff. And you have to decide that you're going to be able to put in the time to do that thing to get the sound. For example, okay, we were talking about having a a variety of amps and getting sounds and all that. Like the first real amp that I bought was a single rectifier and I never made it sound good. I had no idea what I was doing with it. I recorded like our first uh, little EP with it and it was, and it sounds bad. I did a bad job, you know? And (laughs) like, I had, I guess the, the, there were not quite as many forums at the time or as uh, YouTube didn't really exist even then. Um, so I never heard of like, Oh, like rectifiers kind of have this flubby shitty low end. You have to, if you don't boost it with something, it's going to, it's not going to sound right. And so I sold it, never knowing what I could have gotten out of it. And that's not even that's that's a very simple example. There's a lot of much more complex and powerful things out there these days. And knowing all the ins and outs are what's going to make it good, not the yeah, not the thing itself.
1: So really, really learning the piece of gear. Yeah. So what goes into that for you? You said actually looking at the manual, but like uh, so you have a new piece of gear. It's complicated. What are your first steps? What's that look like?
3: Well, the first thing that I do is the thing that I almost said not to do, which is to just intuitively dick around with it. I try to go in with the with the mindset of a child, a child's mind, and just like start trying it out, see if there's, see if it is intuitive. You know, see if it's just at face value what it can do, how far into it I can get. It usually, like lasts a, whatever an hour or something. And then I will see what other people have done with it. And I think I always felt kind of corny, like figuring out what the manufacturer wanted you to do with it because that didn't feel very creative. It felt like a self-imposed limitation. But these days, I, uh, I really think of it like, like no, like, let's, let's see what they're trying to get you to do. You know, It's like playing a video game, okay? When you, play, when you sit down to play a video game, the, the game designer is God, okay? Like, they're trying to get you from point A to point B. You're, they're trying to give you this cool experience, this story going from one place to the next. And you can explore within those boundaries. And you, sometimes you can push past those boundaries, kind of like speedrunners or something, you know, exploiting little glitches and weird stuff. But in the end, you're only going to advance to the next level if you go to the place where the game designer decided was the, you know, was the end point, was the trigger point that's going to get you to the next level. And a lot of gear is a little bit like that. So you might never get to the next level if you don't read the fucking manual. (laughs) And I I learned that the hard way um, recently. You know, I don't know. I might, like, I'll do a whole review. I'll shoot the whole thing and edit it and put it out. And somebody will be like, bro, you didn't do this one fucking thing that was clearly... And I was like, "Oh shit! Oh, the, uh, a great example is the Mammoth Bass Plugin, which I love. It's it's just like a bass processing plugin, very powerful. And the fucking logo is a knob, and I missed it entirely. Like it's a it's a knob that like gives you more gain or like more bright. I felt so fucking stupid, you know?
1: That could be useful for sure
3: because I skimmed the manual. I think I actually, because it is such a great and super intuitive plugin, I knew what everything did instantly. I was able to dial in the tone exactly how I wanted it. And so I was like, oh, I don't need to read the fucking manual. That's dumb. I've already got. I've already done everything. And then I put out the video and 10 comments are like, dude, you missed this. It's literally right in the middle of the plugin.
1: <laughs> That's a very interesting point because I agree with you, but I do have, I can think of examples where, I don't think that's totally true. So, for instance, when learning a DAW, there's a Pro Tools certification out there, which basically is all about learning 100% of Pro Tools, which is a lot of stuff that you will never, ever, ever need. Like, for instance, if you're engineering heavy music, it's probably better to learn the 10% of Pro Tools that uh, applies and then get amazing at that 10%. Obviously, I i don't think there's anything wrong with learning more about it, but uh, is it even relevant? And the answer is no. In some ways, it's better to go deeper on the things that you're going to be encountering on a regular basis and becoming incredible at those things. A DAW is a lot more complicated than one solitary plugin.
3: Yeah. Unless it's AxEdit. <laughs> yes. True. <laughs> well, you know what I think of is Come the on. you've heard of this old uh Windows survey where they asked people what they should put into Windows, the next version of Windows, and like ninety percent of it was shit that Windows already had, but yeah. people didn't know about. Um, and that I think that's true of a lot of DAWs and um uh, I use Pro Tools and there's stuff that I learned still learn about it all the time that would have saved me a lot of trouble but at the same time there's there's fucking settings in there that like literally make zero difference and me understanding what it is will not make my songs better will not make my production better uh and is only for the hardcoreist of nerds who Care about that kind of stuff because they're not musicians. Maybe (laughs) you know, care about those (laughs) those kinds of settings instead of, you know, we'll do that and get it right, but not tune their guitar or or play play something.
1: Or maybe those settings apply in a scenario that doesn't matter for you, like mixing a major motion picture, syncing lots of gear together in a live setting. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that it does that just isn't relevant to certain people's scenarios.
3: Yeah. And you know what? I, I realized now that the way that I said that was seemed kind of like uh, derisive towards tech folk who I <laughs> depend on a lot. That That's not really how I meant it. Oh, well, they're not really musicians. Like, well, I'm not really a fucking engineer either. <laughs> so, you know, I like I really need and depend on people like that. So that they're very important. And if I and if we didn't have those people. Pro Tools wouldn't even exist, and I'd be over here on my fucking Tascam 4-track cassette player thinking that it was it was any good. So that is not the case. Can you imagine
2: having to upload a YouTube video that you've recorded onto your Tascam 4-track because Pro Tools never happened?
3: <laughs> wow. Okay. I actually have an idea in my phone written down let's write a song on a taskam four track i've been uh, i've been thinking about it because that's what i started on and boy oh boy did it suck and i thought it was the greatest fucking thing i was like you can record four different parts and they'll play together <laughs> 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 oh my god oh and and now on my phone i have a multi track daw that i can use to like that's more than the fucking beatles had you know what i mean and fuck like and now think about this we think that Pro Tools or whatever is the shit. What are they going to have in 50 years that's going to make this look so dumb? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't either. Uh, but I forget who it was, but there was, or somebody predicted modern recording back in like the 1800s, 1700s. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who it was, but someone predicted everything that we were going to start doing from like, reverb, to delay, to like compression, to DAWs, to, to multi-track recording. That's quite scary. Yeah, but it it was kind of like one day he was talking about this is the logical direction things are going to go in, in order to make music happen. Obviously, he was uh, crazy. I wonder what people think the future holds at this point. Uh, lots of times I hear people talking about it, like things you'll be able to do and I see a lot of technology companies at Nam or whatever and 99.9% of the time I'm like that's fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> that's it, no one's going to care about that
3: oh you're talking about the basement hall
1: e <laughs> not just the not just the basement though you see you see um a lot of uh a lot of major companies unveiling the thing that's going to like change recording forever or, mm-hmm change guitar forever and i
3: don't know it's true and you know there, there's a lot of those big flops things
1: you have to have those but then you get an tune every once in a while
3: but one of those is gonna be the one is hmm. like one of them is for sure gonna be the thing gonna come along at the right time and be that thing
2: that's also part of it isn't it it's also the timing of it because there's been thousands of inventions that are you know, incredible, and it's just took years to develop with society. So, you know, those things that are are at that we think are terrible ideas, (laughs) one of them might come along in the future and just destroy everything. One of them might be a Kemper
1: or Everton.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or wireless electricity, you know. I always think of Nikola Tesla when it comes to stuff like this, you know, when you're saying someone predicted recording, just like how Tesla predicted certain things, you know, that we use now so what do you predict for the future of recording i predict that i can just probably get an entire recording down by
1: just thinking about it how organized would your thoughts have to be in order to get that down
2: that's very true but you know we're talking about the advancement of the human race here
3: i think once we get to that point you'll have to get good at it i think organizing your thoughts and hearing it and getting it down
2: there'll probably be a drug that's like a better form of ritalin <laughs>
1: It's already out there. It's called Adderall.
3: Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> already exists. Actually, it's kind of funny that you say that because I just in a video that I think it actually is going to go up later today. I tried something. Oh, this sounds like I'm going to about to mention a drug. No, it's a microphone called <laughs> it's called Doubler, and
1: that is what I thought you were going to.
3: Say. <laughs> I, and on camera, I tried the newest <laughs> designer drug. <laughs> It's a microphone and a and a plug-in that you basically can beatbox and sing, and it creates MIDI. Maybe Logic has something like that built in.
2: So does Easy Bass with TuneTrack.
3: Yes, exactly. But this is like you mouth jam shit in. like You train it to hear certain sounds that you make to trigger certain MIDI things. And I was able to beatbox in a drum beat, and it became a MIDI drum beat. So that's like that's a very sort of primitive version of what you're talking about but it's a lot like you're saying the logical progression eventually I think we will through incremental improvement and incremental growth and always moving towards goals like that we can for sure get to a place like that
2: and just think you don't even need to take a laptop to a live gig at that point just to play your USB stick you can just stand there with your
3: mind <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the uh Futurama instrument where they he plays it and it becomes like a like a picture, like a painting? That'd be sick. The episode where Fry becomes smart and he plays this instrument uh actually it's a beautiful episode. God, I love that show. But there it's kind of like that. You watch a lot of cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. How, how could you not love cartoons? Come on. <laughs> because I'm an adult. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm literally watching I'm literally watching uh, Star Wars Rebels right now, which is it's not just a car- cartoon, it's a Disney XD cartoon. But you know what? Here it is. It's totally relevant. I can't remember what the fucking thing is called, but it's sort of like what you're talking about. Like it's if you could, you know, it's about focusing your your and imagining a certain thing and playing it and it becomes the whole thing. It becomes like a symphony and this visual thing. And I think that would be pretty great. What people fumble with, what the artist sort of, what's the barrier is this fucking flesh suit translating your vision into creating a thing and the struggle of getting from the, whatever, little electrical impulses in your brain into a piece of art. And if you can just think it into being... Will we start creating things that are greater and more amazing, or are we just going to get lazy like kids with their plugins and axe effects? I don't know.
1: So do you, I mean, do you think that the flesh suit is uh, (laughs) a limitation or an asset at the end of the day, depending on whether or not you master it?
3: Is the struggle the thing that allows us to make great art? Or if we hit the limitless... Thing right? If we like the movie, yeah. Like if we can get there, okay, where we're so smart and capable that we can just think a thing into being and it becomes. Will we make better things? Will we transcend? Will we go farther and farther and farther and raise the uh the expectation of audiences to create something great? Or are we just gonna make some bullshit because we get lazy? Both. I don't know. Both?
1: Both. So. Uh, I think any time that there's new technology and advancement, it comes with new problems. And so one of the problems of being able to make stuff faster and with greater power is that there will be a lower bar for entry. You're already mm-hmm. seeing that now. Yeah. And you've been seeing that for the past 10 years maybe, yeah. with the home <laughs> recording revolution. Mm-hmm. So yes, there will be a lot more garbage and the challenge will probably be to sift through it kind of like... Uh, an enhanced version of what's going on now and what's been going on. However, just like recording quality and video quality is, and technical ability on instruments is as good as it's ever been, why wouldn't that advance? It'll be both.
2: It'll be both. And it would advance a lot quicker as well because you're thinking it.
1: Yeah, totally. There's always a price to pay for every advancement. It doesn't come without its problems. So I definitely do think, yes, we'll be making amazing shit. Make it easier for us to make stuff, and we'll make better stuff. Cool. The end.
2: I'm really gutted that I won't be there to see that. <laughs> That's actually one thing that bothers me about thinking about the future is that ah, uh, there's going to be all this cool shit. If you think about how far we we've advanced since the you know the 20th century, the beginning of it to now, imagine what another hundred years is going to
3: uncover. There's an episode of Star Trek that I think of. You know the uh, the primary. Or what do they call the prime directive, right? To not mess with civilizations as they're yep. until they hit a certain point, and then fucking crush them. And then you just fucking crush. You hit <laughs> and them then, you, then you then yeah. you give
2: them a good yeah. dose of American freedom. <laughs>
1: you
3: fucking liberate it's, it's, their it's oil. To be a
1: topic for you today, Brown.
3: <laughs> What's that? Sorry,
1: <laughs> it seems to be a topic for you today. What do you mean? Um, uh, well mentioned it like 5 times.
3: Well, well American freedom. He's still bitter yeah, about when so. we when we got That's our freedom from sense. him. It's fine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but in this episode of Star Trek, the you know, they're doing they're observing this culture and they kind of get busted, like they get figured out, and so some of the, they have to take some of their leaders from this like what's basically the equivalent of I want to say like 1980s level technology that they have. And they bring some of the leaders of this culture onto the ship. They beam them up into the Enterprise, okay. And this one scientist woman like gets to see who they've. They don't actually. I think they don't have space travel yet, so it's probably more like uh, like I don't know early 1900s something. And she sees what it will be like, what the future of technology could be, and then she has to go back to her life in this very comparatively primitive technology society. And the the like, the way that I felt hearing about that was similar to what you're talking about. I was like, oh my God, how could you ever go back? How can you see the manifestation of the future and then go back to the shitty present where you don't have that thing? And uh, imagining the idea of being able to think your music into, into being... And then having to later on today, like, get play, the fucking, play the guitar, <laughs> grab my MIDI keyboard and poke at like guitar. I can kind of do things that I think on keyboard. I'm a I'm garbage, but I still have to have to do it to get in whatever drums and, and synths and orchestration and shit. But whole. Oh. They also had something similar at the,
2: the beginning of Into Darkness Star Trek as well just in case no one knows what episode you're talking about Star Trek. (laughs) But the the intro to Into Darkness is pretty much the same where they try and stop the volcanic eruption from happening. I love Star Trek.
3: Those, Those new movies are fucking great.
1: I think there's a lot of people who would disagree with you, even though I agree with you, I think, about this kind of stuff too. I think a lot of people would be like, are probably listening right now and thinking something like, yeah, but it was better... When uh, you didn't have the internet and you could just uh, run around outside, you know, all that kind of old timer stuff. But I think <laughs> a lot of people tend to glorify the past and uh, they forget that the world was shitty then too. Yeah, Shittier, actually. It's just easy to glorify the past because the past doesn't exist anymore.
3: Right.
1: So I'm with you on this. The, I, I think that um, things get better always. And uh, I'm jealous of people hundred years from now what they're going to get to do.
2: Yeah. I want to see, I want to see the creation of the Dyson sphere. Yeah. That's more than a hundred (laughs) years. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. It's just a little bit. Yeah. But you know, just those things would be cool to see, wouldn't they? (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad that you both know what I'm talking about when I say the Dyson sphere.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I just saw an episode about that.
1: Yeah. But that's a little more than a hundred years.
2: Yeah, I think so. Well, we're at 0.71 right now, right? On that scale, according to... Uh, Apparently. Carter Chef or whatever his name. I think that was his name. It's the Carter Chef scale, isn't it? So, yeah. But yeah, just seeing stuff like that would be cool. But then again, you know, imagine what it was like for people when they, you know, saw the first telephone or the first radio or something like that. You know, we've seen that in our lifetime tenfold. Let's just go back to 2007 with the iPhone.
3: Yeah. I remember there was a span of like five years where it went from, oh, you have a camera on your phone? That's so sick to, oh, you don't have a camera on your phone? What are you fucking poor? <laughs> like, it, it literally flipped that fast. Like, yeah. It was, I think it was less than five years. And now it's like, now you can shoot crazy good looking shit on a phone. And there was a point where people saw reproduced like motion on a screen and had their minds blown out of the fucking back of their skulls. Yeah. I remember when I,
2: the first tour I ever went on and I was, and we had to use maps, paper maps, because we didn't even have a TomTom. And now yep, I just literally just type it in on here and it directs me all the way anywhere on earth. And that's only within 16 years period. Well, 15, 10, well, actually it's less than that. It's since 2007 to so 13 years. Since
1: the iPhone. Yeah. So we're saying we want to see future technology and are excited about it. But do you think that we would embrace it or would we be like our uh, grandparents and cell phones?
2: I think we'll get to an age where we'll just be, it'll be too complicated for our minds to understand, potentially.
1: With that one extra step of hitting a call and yeah. up. Yeah. It's just too much. I think so, yeah. Cause you know, if you It's just too much. Like literally, it's just too much, that one extra step.
2: Maybe, yeah. But I mean, if you look back, I mean, some, you know, some old timers now, some of them are good at using a phone, some aren't. It depends if the want's there as well, isn't it?
1: To a degree. Say that you got placed in a world two hundred years from now, just you now. Yeah. Would you be able to deal with it and comprehend it and assimilate? Or uh, would you be like grandparents and cell phones?
3: I think I'd love it,
2: personally. I'd try any way to acclimatize
1: to it. What do you think, Trey?
3: I'm trying to think of things that I'm a grandpa about right now.
1: TikTok, maybe?
3: (laughs) I don't really use TikTok, but I kind of get it. Like, I'm I'm on there, and it makes sense to me. It doesn't...
1: make sense to me, too.
3: Yeah. Snapchat, I never got on board with. But I think that's probably one of the things. I don't know. I'm having a hard time thinking about it. I like to think that I would jump in and embrace it and be on it. But we. All, I also can't imagine the thing that I'm going to be so grandpa about that I just won't get it. I think there's a lot of macros that are things that will make a big difference. Like I got my little uh, stream deck here. You guys ever use a stream deck? This thing is yep. the shit. Got, got it's two a little of those, macro yes. machine. Um, yeah. So you can, you know, make you basically you make buttons that do a bunch of things or I mean, you could do a lot with it. But those are, I think, one of the one of the big things like it's outsourcing like part of your brain or, or a lot of your tasks to one thing to a computer, basically to some kind of thing that is automated a great number of tasks all at once. And I think those will become so commonplace and so advanced that like if we were to get transported 200 years in the future, people who live there are so used to it. It's so such a part of them maybe they're even close to cyborgs that i would have had to grow up in that culture to understand it at all that's the thing that i think of that would probably be the most confusing
2: there's actually one thing right now that makes me feel very grandpa that's about and it's called the raspberry pi yeah and it's this little computer that people program by themselves and that side, like, obviously I see all these people creating this stuff and I just can't fathom how they're doing it. So I guess that's me being grandpa because I don't understand it.
1: I've seen lots of people in their thirties and twenties be grandpas about things like uh, ordering groceries to your house. delivery <laughs> Up until yeah. this year. So to what you're saying about basically the future being lots of tasks, getting automated and simplified, less bullshit, I guess. You can just look around you and see the resistance to it. I think that is uh, one of the, I guess, best examples, just because it's not just grandpas who don't understand uh, Instacart. It's people my age or younger who don't get it.
2: I remember when I was a kid and I wanted to order a guitar from an American store and my father wouldn't let me use his credit card to do it because he was scared that his details were going to get taken online. Do you remember that whole thing?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that was a very grandpa thing as well, wasn't it? I mean, even I think that people still had that up until recently.
1: Oh, they still have that. Really? Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> we get people wanting to sign up for URM who just won't because they don't believe in entering credit cards in online.
3: How do you even, how do you exist? What are they going to, they want to send you a fucking check? Like, (laughs) yeah. They want to come to your house and hand you a pile of cash.
1: (laughs) They'd like us to like automatically take it out of their checking account. But see, the thing that doesn't make sense is then they'd have to give us their bank info too. (laughs) This shit's not rational.
3: So not, not to, like, be constantly coming back to Star Trek, but <laughs> <laughs> here's what I realize about Star Trek. It is not as exciting and fun to watch as Star Wars things, okay? It's not a fun action movie most of the time, but they ask the big questions. It's kind of like a, a friendlier black mirror a lot of the time. they You know, they're like, okay, well, what would happen in this scenario? What's the ethical way to act? how to, like, they do a much more of a deep dive, right? It's a pretty philosophical show. I'm mostly thinking about the next generation, by the way, because that's what I'm watching. I think about the Star Trek future where need no longer exists, okay? There's, you know, right now we have two options. We've got socialism and capitalism, okay? One of them, the government provides everything for you. The other one, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever, okay? The free market, in the future there in star trek there's the third option where technology and energy have eradicated need okay you don't have to work anymore because replicators exist you can have anything you want right away so when we get there what's next what do we want to do what do you what are you going to spend your time doing and i think people want to have like right now you feel like you have to create you have to do work to make things right Like, I feel weird if I'm not working because that's how I get stuff, right? But if that doesn't exist, will I still have a need to live? Like, will I still have a a reason to live? And I think that when you have a new piece of technology that automates something for you, people get weird feelings about it because they think that they should have to uh, do that in between work. And if you outsource it to a button... And a piece of technology and a machine, you go. What am I? Why am I here?
1: What am I if I don't drive to the grocery store?
3: Exactly. Like <laughs> I think people have their identity tied in so deeply to work and being that that you you get pretty cagey about it. When, you know, when something threatens that.
2: I actually think to a, that that is a really like it's a big topic because I've been thinking about that a lot recently as well. Like the next evolution of mankind. And that you've got the nail on the head. Like, I mean, technically, technology right now is where it needs to be in order to achieve that, where people wouldn't need to work, you know. But again, if you dumped everyone into that
3: environment, would they accept it? No. I don't know. I mean, yeah, probably not. For sure not. I think once there's a level of automation that people will literally riot and destroy machines that are taking their jobs. Like, yes. you know, the Tesla um, truck. Self-driving, uh, big long-haul trucks, right? Yeah. People are going to fight to be long-haul trucker- truckers, even though that's a fucking miserable job. At first. <laughs> At first, of course. And, and that's because they think that they need to have this job. And they can't think, oh, I could be doing something that doesn't suck instead. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I mean... It, <laughs> Oh man, hindsight again. Yeah. Hello, hindsight. (laughs) And like, and I think if somebody who's a long haul trucker heard me say that they would be fucking pissed because they've tied their identity into, into being a trucker. And I think that fucking sucks to be that.
2: Do you know what, what kind of sucks as well is that that kind of mindset is extendable to music. Now, totally. If you think about artificial intelligence um i watched something recently where it made a death metal song i think that's what i saw anyway
3: oh is it that you're talking about the procedurally generated death metal youtube channel that's Archspire like or the art spire one the uh
2: maybe yeah it might have been that but imagine that ai can think of nearly just think millions of different situations of how to write music and you input three notes and it shows you the most likely options that you're going to like based on what you've done <laughs> previously. And then at that point, it's like musicians aren't really needed. And then we're going to be the ones that riot and say mm-hmm. they took our jobs.
3: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you were asking about what we're going to be grandpas about. That might be it. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? People
1: are already <laughs> that way about drum uh, programming. However, I don't really think that um now that drum programming has been around for a while and it's gotten good, that too many people feel too bad about shitty drummers being replaced. No. Or, or drummers having to do better or writing with fake drums. Like these are things that people were that way about that uh, for the most part they just aren't anymore. So whenever I hear about people they're gonna riot uh metaphorically or for real. I always think at first, and then they're gonna get used to it, like every other advancement. Yep. That's come around.
2: If you look back to the early two thousands, I mean we've spoken about this before, AL, you know, the amount of drummers that were good was very few and far between and often or not bands used to share them. Yep. Just because no one could really do it what, you know, was asking for. So when, you know, the first sample kit I really remember was drum kit from hell. When that came out and then you get these dudes programming these drum beats that literally no drummer could play, it kind of forced drummers to get better in a way. Like the standard of drumming now is just astronomical in comparison to what it was 16, 20 years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's great.
2: Yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? Same with guitar players too.
1: Oh yeah. People are way, way better now than when my band was getting signed or uh, when I was in high school or something. Yeah. People are way better.
2: The local bands, too. Like, if you think about the caliber of local bands now, like, I've been blown away more than once by listening to a local band. And not just by how bad it is.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the last, like, three years, I have seen a local band tune by ear on stage at full volume with distortion on to each other their grandpas already holy shit uh (laughs) i don't know if that i don't know if we'll ever lose that
2: i mean i hope we don't that is that that (laughs) is a beautiful moment that
3: should be kept (laughs) oh i i have such a deep regret that i didn't film it but oh wow Uh, did you ever do that in your old band i can't think of ever having done that specifically but i for sure did things that were equally dumb (laughs) um yeah like not tuning at all throughout the whole set yeah (laughs) oh man so many dumb things but i guess i didn't i never really thought about like the the idea of outsourcing something something about the writing process to an ai i guess that's the only thing that we've talked about this whole time that made me feel a little bit threatened and i felt a little grandpa (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so uh, when you outsource right now to an outside writer, a human writer, which a lot of people do, some people are totally cool with it and then other people feel that weird threat. So I think there already is a version of that yep, alive and well in the industry, replacing writers.
3: Well, yes, I guess because my identity is so tied up in, in my songwriting that i feel like i do kind of have that feeling but i also want to be the person that they outsource to when they do that i'm currently working on a songwriting course okay i mm-hmm. you know i have my relationships guitar series of uh of courses that are very guitar oriented but i realized that the thing that i want to do and that my audience wants more than anything else is a course on songwriting, and that's the thing that I care about the most, so it just makes perfect sense. So I'm going through all of this stuff and thinking about it and thinking about how not everyone can write a song. Even if they take this course to do the whole thing and really get into it, they might not be able to ever write a song. Some people just aren't wired that way. And those people need to outsource their fucking shit to a songwriter or get in a band with a good songwriter. And if you are that and you have this feeling about, outsourcing to a different song having somebody else write your songs, then you're fucking up because you're just gonna be playing shitty songs.
1: What if the AI legitimately writes better songs than humans?
3: It will. I think it's already been proven that it can. Um that they you you can at least the music side of it, lyrics. I don't think they've nailed it yet, but but it, eventually they will. Okay, the you know you'll you'll get a computer so powerful that it'll pass the Turing test in terms of writing lyrics for you, and people will feel things. But I think it would be hard for me to get up on stage and play a song that was written by a computer, and to feel anything while I'm performing it, so... Mm. Some people write that way. Now, if you think about it, they
2: write with Guitar Pro. That's kind of a similar, even though it's like, yeah, maybe it's
1: their creative output.
3: You're still, you're still making those decisions, though. You're still making the decision of every part.
1: That's just like a piano roll that looks like a fretboard or tap.
3: Yeah. I think it's whether or not you can get excited about it more than anything else. If you go into a studio with DL... Right from Acacia Strain
2: doesn't tour with tour with them anymore, right? He's just the songwriter behind it.
3: Yeah. Well, he writes songs for a bunch of bands. Like he writes uh, for All That Remains and a bunch of bands. And that and you know he's just fucking good at it. And why not? Like why shouldn't he? But like it, I guess it would be weird to be in for me to be in one of those bands. Eh.
1: Would it though?
2: It depends on the uh, on the outcome, doesn't it? And what you want. If you want, to... I think that. Partly, of, Part of it is actually to do with the ego Getting in the way I mean if you want to be in a in a band That's successful and that's the end goal Then I would say that probably and, and you know your strengths And weaknesses then I don't necessarily think That it's a bad thing It's not really any different than getting a producer per se is it really
3: No I don't think so I guess I'm sort of of two minds about it Because like is it any different for me To hear a song that somebody else wrote Feel something Feel like some kind of ownership of it in the sense that I've connected with it and it made a piece of art made me feel something versus like being able to do a cover and fucking feel it, you know, to learn the yeah. song and play it and just get that versus having somebody else write a song that I then present. I'm not presenting it as original material exactly. But you could. But you could still, it could be the same thing. It's all, you. St- you connect with it, you feel something, great. If a computer wrote it and then you... Here's what it is. Here's why I feel weird about it. If a computer wrote it and you feel something, then you know that these feelings can be faked or that I would feel manipulated, I guess. Even though all of art is literally emotional manipulation from afar, if a computer can do it, you're like, oh, fuck. Is anything real? Am I a computer? <laughs> that's, my, that's my very convoluted train of thought, but I think that's what leads to the feeling, the grandpa feeling that I have with an AI writing something but if you can't tell the difference, does it fucking matter? I don't think so. Exactly. That's like the drum programming. If you can't tell the difference between program drums and a real drum performance, does it fucking matter?
2: Which most people can't. No. Which technically in metal, most people probably can't because the drums are edited within an inch of their life anyway. Yeah. With this you know, this point in time with a lot of metal.
1: I'll just go on record saying I don't think it matters. So say that I was a professional writer and AI came along that did it better, I'd stop writing. (laughs) Basically.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I would probably too. Or what would be cool to see is if, um, you know, the AI AI studies the music of a certain sound that you want and you get a certain percentage of tolerance level towards something else. That would be cool to see.
3: Well, let's say that the AI doppelganger creating... Archspire inspired music on YouTube gets to the point where it's better than Archspire, quote unquote better. Okay, should Archspire quit? Do you think they should just stop? Like, like if it can be procedurally, gen- oh, it is up to them. But if it's making procedurally generated tech death that is as good or better than them, and in putting in style. the time and in their style specifically, right versus them. Putting out an album every three years, working their fucking asses off. Poor, poor Spencer like running <laughs> Did they find their <laughs> sixth member? Oh, Okay, so uh, it's like the it's like the oh, uh, uh, who's the sixth member of the Beatles or the fifth member? Of the uh, Brian um, George Martin. George Ma- Brian George Martin. Good old Brian George. Uh George Martin. Brian Thank George.
1: You. Brian Martin.
3: <laughs> Is that any really any different having a having something like that? I don't know.
2: Only to the people in the band,
1: to the rest of the world, it doesn't matter.
3: And even to the band, it might not matter.
1: Yeah. That's why I said it's up to them. Like, you might talk to them and they might be like, hey, sounds
3: cool. So I think the comfort for me comes in thinking that it can't ever be as good. It can't, uh, that there will always be a missing element. I do like to think I'm special. (laughs) or not. I don't think anything matters to an AI right now unless we program it to care and then we're deciding what the things are that it cares about. Right? Like when you... It's it's like the I forced a bot to watch a thousand hours of whatever and it spit out this... God. some of those are hilarious some of those are so hilarious they're for sure not fucking real like i don't think any i don't know that that's real but um i think somebody just writes them i think it's a funny comedian but it's a, it's that idea like i forced a bot to listen to archspire and here's what it spit out and it's spitting out these things but it doesn't it doesn't care about them so there's no like it doesn't know how to manipulate my emotions precisely it will so soon. it'll never quite pass the Turing test? It might. Maybe it will. It definitely will. Just give it time. I envision Skynet. Right now I can listen to that thing and there's a there's a big uncanny valley. So Yeah, for sure. I like to think that in my lifetime it'll never happen, so I won't <laughs> I won't be outsourced, but
1: <laughs> hmm. the thing is, if that does happen, it's gonna happen gradually. And it'll eventually get adopted by everybody to where that brain power used for writing is going to shift towards something else. Much the same way that, yeah, I know that there's like fine artists still and, uh, you know, who try to be in museums and stuff, but not like there used to be just because, uh, It's not as relevant to modern society and there's new ways to express yourself
3: feels a little bit like boiling the frog
1: yeah but you say that now
3: i say that now as a thoroughly boiled frog i think at this point (laughs) i use program drums all the time yeah
2: why wouldn't you so denial that's what this is
3: (laughs) well yeah i mean i'm embracing or i'm full disclosure grandpa (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you asked the uh, thing that's... what the thing is and I think I think you found it.
2: Next time I come over from England I'll bring you a cardigan. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I'm cool with all of it. I'm cool with all of it too. To a degree.
3: Yeah, I still haven't decided. The jury's out. Uh I guess I just don't it's so fun for me that if an a- if an AI can do it better uh I still don't want it to because I want to do it's the, that's the part that I want to do. Like I want to automate every other fucking part of my life so that all I do all day is write music. So here's the example I'm going to use. My parents retired, whatever, uh, like four or five years ago after working their fucking asses off their whole life. Okay. And for like two years, they didn't know what the fuck to do. They were like, all they knew was we have to get to retirement so that we can stop working. And the idea is that you do that, so th- and then you have time to do whatever you want. But if you don't know what it is that you actually want to do, you can have all the time in the world and it doesn't matter. So, if I outsource something to the songwriting process to an AI, I would, I might as well just fucking kill myself because that's me outsourcing my reason to live. Like, if you took away everything else from me, the thing that I personally care about the most that you would that I could continue to live is the ability to create, you know? Like, Jason Becker fucking writes music with his eyeballs. With his eyeballs. He can't move anything else. And he composes music with his eyeballs and he has continued to defy ALS when he probably should have been... Most people who get ALS die, like, fucking four or five years. He's had it 20 fucking years now. Still going. So
2: so I think it's 30-something years,
3: isn't it? He got it in in the the early 90s, Talk about a flesh prison.
2: I think he got it in 1989, didn't he? Because he played on that last album. What album was it he played on? But he had to like lower his gauge of strings to be able to play it.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing that would keep me alive when my body stops going is if I can keep creating music and composing, then I have a reason to live. I guess that's why I don't really, uh, I mean, I, I feel a little bit threatened by the AI, but at the same time, I don't really care because that's not going to stop me from doing the thing, even if it can do it better. A lot of people play guitar a lot better than I do. (laughs) And it doesn't (laughs) stop me from playing the guitar, even if it's It's not as as good. I guess I like to think that no matter what, I've got something that the AI won't almost ever, even if you can't tell the difference. Even if it's not obvious, it still exists. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: I think it's going to be a really, really long time before these tools could possibly replace the human touch. And the reason I think that is just if you look at computer generated shit like uh, screensavers, savers, uh, they're still not as cool as art created by humans. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a long, long time from now. But what I do think will happen is uh, much like you don't even think about programming drums now, you just do it. There will be lots of things that we can't imagine just doing that easily that will just do that easily. And uh, it'll be less limitations, which is a good thing. It's not bad.
3: I think as long as we always use it as a springboard into doing greater things.
1: Some will, some uh, will.
3: There's absolutely nothing wrong with automation. You know, like I use program drums primarily for songwriting and not generally for full production of things that I consider to be a, you know, a piece of art. But at the same time, I guess I, I use a lot of sample libraries, which isn't really any different it's 0% different actually now that I think about it. Or what
1: about the MIDI inside of Superior Drummer? Ah. There's grooves for instance.
3: You, I use all that that all the time. Well, of course I'm going to I'm always going to outsource drums because I'm not I'm not a drummer. So, if you're in a band with other people who play instruments other than you, you are outsourcing already, <laughs> right? Like
1: Yeah, I'm just saying that even so, within the realm of programmed drums, shit's evolved from Yes. You you don't just need to like plink it on a keyboard or do it on a piano roll. Now there's, and it's been, I mean, those midi have been around for a while, but like uh, you can just pull in a performance from somebody else out of a library and boom, you're good. So what's wrong with that? It's the same sort of thing.
3: It's the same thing. Is there anything wrong with it? No, certainly not. I don't think there's a, a moral prescriptive in any of this. I, I think it's just a, Uh, you know, we're talking about comfort levels and, uh, and a lot of it is, uh, is just, we'll always be chasing kind of, uh, not what we're used to, but we'll we'll always be chasing a feeling that we got from a thing when we were 13, you know? And it's like, oh, is this going to get me there? Like, I don't fucking know. Like, this is how I viewed music. This is how I've always viewed it. Now it's rapidly changing. And then comes the grandpa. On like, ah, <laughs> damn kids and their program drums. But I program drums mainly for songwriting to make it easier for me to get from the thing that's in my head to a sketch of of the thing, or maybe a final product. But if the AI thing could uh could do some of that for me, would it bother me? I don't think so. Like maybe an auto-generated, and I I have seen this a little bit, like seen little ads for plugins and stuff that will like auto-generate keyboard arrangements, like pad chords or whatever when you program them in. And it's mostly made for dudes who don't have any music theory at all but want to be producers. I've seen a couple of these kinds of things. And I mean, that could be cool in a pinch. I think Easy Bass is a good example. You know, like I've written a riff on the guitar. I don't want to sit there and plunk in a bass line. I just record it. Send it into easy bass and it poops out MIDI of the same thing <laughs> that i played and then I can manipulate it a little bit into some being something a little more usable or whatever. And that if we scale that way up, I guess eventually what we get to is Brown's idea of thinking the music into being. It's kind of awesome. I don't it's it's kinda of awesome. Kind I of just, scary. It's it's very scary because we can't actually know what the implications of it are. We can imagine and project, but really what's it going to be? That's impossible to know.
2: Spotify, 0.1% a millionth
1: of a percent of a penny. (laughs) (laughs) Just
3: keep cutting it down and down.
1: Yeah. Well, I think with that uh, optimistic view of the future, (laughs) it's a good place to end the episode. Trey, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure.
3: You're welcome, and thank you for having me. I, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if people listening to this are going to are going to be depressed or excited and I don't know how I feel about any of it either. We're both.
1: <laughs> Sorry
3: about throwing that bombshell. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's important stuff to think about, you know. It's not like our last podcast that we did AL when we got to the end we were like we fucking solved creativity. We are we were so stoked that day. We got to the end we were like all right, great. You can do whatever the fuck you want and you're going to be successful and great. And now I'm like, the machines, they're coming for my job. Like, (laughs) (laughs) they took
1: on jobs. Both those things can be true. Yeah. You can solve creativity and also get replaced by a machine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's the solution.
1: Yeah, totally.
3: Well, this was really fun. I love doing these. You can have me back anytime.
1: And he's such a nice guy. Yeah, he's lovely, isn't he? Yeah, I met
2: him for the first time a few years ago at the uh, Hughes and Kettner event. In fact, no, wait a minute, no, it was Mayonez. I met him at Mayonez, yeah. Good lad.
1: Very. He's actually a really damn good guitar player. He doesn't necessarily think so. He's very modest, but he's actually pretty phenomenal.
2: Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I noticed this. You can tell, can't you, straight away when someone's good by the way they play, and not necessarily what they play, but the way that their mechanics of their picking and their their positioning is you can tell that they've worked hard on something
1: yeah absolutely i mean he's got a real player's tone phrasing everything and uh it just goes to show that you don't need to be in a famous band in order to become well known for your guitar playing but the thing that you probably should do is uh focus on getting good Like it's like, that's the underlying assumption here is whether or not you're in a famous band, whether or not you're a guitar teacher, whether or not you're an internet personality, whatever it is that you do, the underlying assumption is that at some point in time, you got really good at the instrument.
2: Yeah, that's the the one core sort of thing that connects all of those things is that you had to spend the time to learn to play the instrument (laughs) because without that then you've got nothing (laughs) you know what I mean
1: (laughs) I think though that a lot of people forget that part um so they they try to think about the marketing about the internet part all the other stuff and they forget you still got to get good That guitar, like that still needs to be front and center for you.
2: Of course. And obviously not to say that the marketing or the internet is not an important part of what they need to be doing because it definitely 100% is. But ultimately you could know everything about marketing. And if you can't play your guitar, then any marketing that you've got is not going to help you.
1: Yeah. A lot of people will say, but I just don't have time for all of it. All you have to do is um, time management. Yeah. Which is not something that musicians are very good at.
2: I mean, I'm pretty awful at it. I had to learn how. <laughs> I'm still not that great at it. No, I mean, you know, Google Calendar has definitely saved my saved my days. It's pretty
1: wonderful. I live and die by that.
2: It's still difficult to manage time because I don't know about you, A.L., but when I really get into something, I want to finish it there and then rather than saying I want to spend an hour on this and then I'll finish it tomorrow. It's like, no, I can finish this in another 20 minutes if I just keep doing it and... That to me is where my time management seems to fall apart.
1: (laughs) Mine falls apart because when I get into something, yeah, I get super into it. And then I end up burning out all my mental energy on it. Yeah, And then all the other tasks I had are very hard to, it's not that I don't have the discipline to do them. It's that, that extra part of my brain that does things great has been burned out for the day. Yeah. Um, It's something I've been fighting my whole life. I've gotten better at it, though. So I know that lots of people listening are probably thinking, well, how do I get good at all these things? How do I take care of all these things? Well, we do have one way to help with that, which is the schedule.
2: Yeah. Organizing your time properly.
1: Yeah. And the cool thing about the schedule is that we have a few different versions of it, depending on how much time you have available for it. And for people who aren't aware, that's on our site, riffhard.com, which is uh, a really, really, really sick guitar school we started. But uh, the schedule, what different amounts of time does it cover?
2: 20 minutes, 40 minutes, one hour, whatever you have the time to put
1: in. I know people who have only taken the 20-minute option. Pros, actually, not beginners, pros who have taken the 20-minute option and still gotten massive results with their uh, rhythm playing.
2: It's just focusing on the correct things. Like if you're spending X amount of hours a day noodling around, not really going outside of your comfort zone, then generally you're not going to see that much progression on that, you know, in five days, seven days or whatever. But if you're focusing on going outside of your comfort zone and really focusing on the endurance aspects, the precision aspect and also building up stamina, then in a very short amount of time, 20 minutes a day, you can notice huge improvements in those areas that maybe you thought weren't particularly good. But now it's like, oh, I focused on that. I've got it up to standard. Now I can apply that to everything else that I've learned. And then that makes a huge and massive improvement overall.
1: Absolutely. So check out riffhard.com, check out the schedule, get your time management in order and get good guitar.
2: Yeah. That is what you should do. All right, Brown. I'll talk to you next week. I'll see you in a minute.
3: Thanks for listening to the Rivar podcast. We'll see you next week.